Welcome, everybody. Glad that you're here. Steph and I are going to continue our series of... My head got really too hot today. First time in like a long time. You would think it's summer out there. Oh, I would love summer out there. Are you kidding me? Um, is your, is your seatbelt on? My, my seatbelt? Yeah. Why is this Because we're be? about to go for a ride. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be bumpy or if it's going to be smooth. You got your coffee. I forgot my coffee. Go get it. We're hanging out today. So uh, we're continuing our series of messages uh, from the Gospel of Mark. If you have a Bible, open it up. Mark chapter 7. We're at the end of Mark chapter 7. Hey, can I pause you already? Sure. Can I pray for us? Yeah. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, you are so kind. You are so loving and you are so good. And you are out in front of us. And this morning as we show up, we, we are expectant of something, but I ask Jesus that you would surprise us and that you would meet us in a way we didn't expect. Mm. Like I just pray, Jesus, that like even as we did like our regular Sunday morning routine to get here and we sat down and we're just like ready for the, the rhythm and the Super Bowl later, like would you just like drop all those things off of our plate right now? Would you help us to be present to this moment and to the things that you have for us right now? The healing, the freedom, the kingdom is here. And so would you come, Jesus? Amen. Amen. Thanks. That was awesome. And we're done? <laughs> we just got started. All right, uh, Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 31. We're continuing this series of messages about how when God shows up as king, it's not always as we expected. And so, I don't know if you caught my little, uh, and the title of today's talk, the little, like, what, nod to Star Wars? This is not the king you were looking for. Like, he shows up in a totally different kind of way. There's seven people that got that. That was awesome. I wasn't one of them. Yeah. (laughs) And so, let's just dive right in. It's Mark 7, and it starts in verse 31, and it reads like this. Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. And there some people brought him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd... Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, and then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up into heaven and with a deep sigh said to him something in Aramaic, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. (laughs) People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Uh, For those of you that have not been binging on our sermons, that was funny. Thank you. Uh, For those of you that have not been doing that, just a brief highlight. Jesus began, the Gospel of Mark really has almost very little commentary. It's just just Mark telling us what Jesus was doing over and over and over again. And what we see is from the very beginning, he proclaims the kingdom and then he demonstrates the kingdom. He proclaims the kingdom, he talks about what the kingdom of God is, and then he demonstrates it. It's like show and tell. It's like preschool show and tell over and over and over. This is what the kingdom is. This is how it works. And then boom, this is what it does to people's lives. And so just for like going backwards a little bit, 
People often ask, Michael, can you just define the kingdom of God? What's the kingdom of God? Here's a line that theologians throughout the past few, I don't know, centuries have used. That the kingdom of God is God's dynamic reign and rule. It's dynamic meaning it's, it's available, it's moving, it's not just static, it's not just something in a theology book. God's rule and reign right here, right now. So when Jesus first came, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, he says that like all of time has been pregnant for this moment, that's my paraphrase, the kingdom of God is at hand, it's within reach, repent and believe the good news. That's the thing he taught us in the Lord's Prayer, right? Lord, let your kingdom come on earth just like it is in heaven. Because when God's ruling, when God is reigning, when God is like, his authority is dynamically active as king, then God heals and he sets people free and, 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 he, and he brings like peace to our lives in all sorts of different ways. The reason that, that Steph prayed at the beginning is like, we want to experience the, the tangible presence of God kind of in, in the right here and the right now. And then another question we often ask is, well, how come sometimes I experience it and sometimes I don't? Right. Like the already and the not yet. We see throughout the scriptures that the kingdom has come in the person of Jesus. We see that it is coming and that it someday will come as Jesus comes back. All three of those things are absolutely true at the same time. That God is still God and he gets to decide what he wants to do when he wants to do it. He never slides over to the passenger seat and goes, here, Steph, take the wheel. Thankfully, he never does that. Yeah, if he, did it, if he did it to any one of us, we'd make a bigger mess. And here's something I love. So, right, we're, we're living the already and the not yet. So we're yeah. kind of in like this middle tension. And in the middle tension is actually where God is working on us. Mm. And so it's like we, we want to see freedom and healing like this in our lives. But because God is so good, yeah. he's actually working on us. He's working on growing our faith. He's developing our character in the tension oh, instead of just giving us what we want when yeah. we want it, which we'll get more to later. Yep, yep. And then another thing in this passage that is really clear to me is that God doesn't keep a safe distance, right? He comes close to us. He comes right close to the guy. He pulls him aside, has a little private moment with it. There's the whole fingers in the ears. There's a, like, what's going on with that stuff, we wonder? Our medicine is so different than that. God, you know, doctors never touch our ears and our tongue today. Yes, they do. Like, in the same kind of way, when we're struggling with something, like, they come close. They're present. They're with us. God comes close, and he's present, and he's with us. And um, what we tend to do when somebody's in pain is we keep a safe distance. Right. Right? Yep. And we've been practicing keeping a safe distance from one another for a couple of years. <laughs> I'm frankly really tired of it. I understand it. I understand the whole thing, right? But I'm just tired of it. Like, I just, I just, I had a guest in town yesterday coming and speaking to us, a, a, a guy who wrote the book Managing Leadership Anxiety, and he got out of the car. I just walked right up to him and gave him a big hug. Like, I don't know where you've been. I don't know if those hands are washed, but I need to hug a guy. And, like, I'm just going to go do that oh my thing. Gosh. I think Jesus loved, leans in way more than you and I are sometimes comfortable with if we're honest absolutely and like we also see in this pas passage that um, th this man's friends are actually leaning in as well mm -hmm. and so what That's we good. see is like there's this beautiful picture of community because mm -hmm. this man mm -hmm. has friends that have vision for his life like they want to see him growing and developing and becoming everything that he was designed for and so they hear about Jesus they they maybe see a miracle or they hear that Jesus is around and available to some degree right yeah. they have to kind of sneak in but 
They know that if they can get their friend to Jesus, this man's life can be changed forever. And that's the kind of community that we need in our own lives. We need to have people that are around us, that see us, they see what we're made for, and they are willing to do whatever it takes to move us towards Jesus. That is community that embodies the heart of God. And that's the stuff that we need. That that kind of friendship takes courage. It does. It takes courage to like challenge somebody to actually step out of their comfort zone into the things that God's called them to do. It does. I agree. And I I think that that's actually something that that keeps us from moving towards Jesus or moving people that we love towards Jesus is we get worried about how that's going Mm, to land for somebody else. Or like we have our own idea of what spirituality looks like or um, how experiencing God is supposed to be. And so we keep a safe distance. You know what it reminds me of is I had a friend... And we attended church here together, and she always had this back pain. And so we'd be in a worship service, and I'd notice that she's like holding her shoulder, and I'd be like, hey, why don't you go get prayer? Get get some prayer for your back. And she's like, oh, no, like, there's other people that have worse issues than I have, so, like, I don't want to bother God with that. And so what would I do? I'd say, okay. Because I didn't want to pressure her, like make her feel uncomfortable or put my own expectations on her. Instead of literally taking her by the hand, walking her towards Jesus, getting prayer and finding healing. Or just even reaching in just in that spot, like as you're sitting there, just praying for her in that moment. Exactly. Like I could have easily prayed for her. That's what we do here. Yeah. How can I pray for you right now? So mostly what kept you from doing that or what keeps us from doing that mm-hmm is like our, our fear of what they think or not wanting to like intrude on their agency or what else? Um, I think that like sometimes it's just like our own expectations when it comes to healing in our own lives. Like we, we sometimes think we can just take care of it on our own, right? Mm. Like she's like, it's fine. I have a chiropractic appointment in a couple days. Like no big deal. And I'll get it taken care of that way. Or what we talked about a second ago is sometimes we think that healing won't work. Like, yeah. it's not going to work, so why would I even bother going yeah. and trying to get healing? Sure. Yeah. You know? Or, like, my friend, she said that she felt like God was too busy for her little back problem. That's, like, a false narrative that it she's really living is. into. Yeah. And so she's actually preventing herself from experiencing the fullness of God in his kingdom just because she believes this little, like, lie. Yeah, exactly. That God doesn't care about my issues. Right. He's too concerned with some bigger issues. That's, that's pretty cool. I like that. The, well, the passage goes on, um, and it's chapter 8, verse 1. So if you have your Bible open, flip back over there. You guys realize in the, when this was written, there were no chapters. There were no verses, right? It just, the very next paragraph. And it goes, during those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Three days. Uh, If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can we get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground and when they had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told uh, the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. And after that, he sent them away, got into his boat with his disciples, and they went to the region of Dalmanutha. Dalmanutha. Hey, I, I could pronounce that one. 
Maybe. I just have to sound them out really slow and then I can do it. <laughs> so here's another feeding of several thousand people. A few weeks ago, we read of one where Jesus fed 5,000 men that were in attendance, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of that one is somewhere between 15 and 25,000 people that they fed with the small boys lunch. Uh, and then in this one, there's another 4,000 people. And sometimes people have said, well, that's one of the ways you can tell that this stuff didn't happen because like, like you know, it's kind of the similar story as the last one and they're just writing it down again. Like, but what's really interesting is like the geography of where this takes place. Like why, why, why is this happening two times within a few chapters here? The first one took place on one side of the Sea of Galilee, where it was mostly all Jewish community. It was probably like 99% Jewish community. And then he gets in a boat and travels over to another side. This is the same place where he had cast the demons out of the man that went into the herd of pigs. This is a Gentile part uh, of the country. And there's very few Jewish people over here. And then Jesus feeds the Gentiles. Like, what's he doing here? Which is like, that's like very radical. That Jesus showed up to the Gentiles yeah. because they were not the chosen people. Yeah. So it was so to believe. To believe. And remember, they kicked him out after the last time he was there because of all the pigs dying. Like they, and the guy getting healed, like they had been cutting himself in the graveyard. And so like they asked him to leave. Now they're back. They're sitting with him for three days with nothing to eat. They got to be getting something out of this, right? And then Jesus feeds them. Here's, here's, the, here's the deal. The kingdom of God, Jesus is showing us, is available to everybody. It's available to absolutely everyone. This is not limited to uh, just what we would think of as the people of God. That the reason that God calls the nation of Israel to himself was to be a light to all the Gentiles. Genesis, when God first speaks to Abraham about being, uh, being the father of a great nation, following him, this is what he says. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you, Genesis 12. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And look at that last line, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Like the whole purpose of Israel is to bless everyone with the presence of God. And then he says that again, uh, the prophet Isaiah, uh, several hundred years later, talking to, through Isaiah to Israel, I will make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation will reach to the ends of the earth. God's goal has always been to bring people from every nation, every race, every ethnicity to himself through the person of Jesus. Jesus is showing that that's the purpose, even as he's feeding the 4,000 I just here. had like an Oprah Winfrey thought in my head. She's like, uh, you get Jesus, and you get Jesus, and you get Jesus. <laughs> that was better than my Star Wars thought earlier. <laughs> they actually got that one. Maybe it's all in the delivery. I got to work on my delivery. Maybe. There you go. And his strategy, Jesus said, God's strategy has been to do it through people who are surrendered to him. And so like with this feeding, like we talked about some of this stuff in detail the last time. And so I'm just going to hit some of the high points. But basically our job is to bring our resources to God to let him multiply them. And then we have to get face to face with the people in need. The disciples had to bring their loaves of bread and their fish. Right? Jesus prayed for those, multiplied them. I don't think that they just multiplied like, you know, all of a sudden there was a huge pile and they just invited people up to eat it. It multiplied as they were giving it away. We read it right there in the passage. And so, practical application for us. 
Like, you probably, I know I do, feel like my resources, what I bring to the table, are never enough for the stuff that God's asking me to do. In my own life, mm-hmm. with, with, with you know, my wife Brenda, with my kids, with my neighbors, here. I never feel like my resources are enough. Like, I just always feel like... I absolutely feel that way. And what we, when we bring our resources to him, like, he multiplies those, he blesses those, and all we have to do then is just get face-to-face with people who are in need. And when we do that, he fills us with compassion, and he gives us what we need for them. You've experienced that, right? Like, that's the way this works. Mm-hmm. You have to bring him your resources. If you're not seeing God do much through you, it's because you're, like, keeping it all to yourself. Like, nothing's going to happen then. You've got to, like, give it to him, and then go get face-to-face with people who are in need if you want to see God show up. It's a really simple recipe. And what we see Jesus do is he is taking like a, like a mundane moment mm. and he's like stepping into this like practical need. Yeah. And he's bringing the kingdom in this, this like practical thing. Yeah. And it, it's cool because what we see in verse two is Jesus says, I have compassion for them. And what mm. he's saying is that he is, he is going to suffer alongside with these people. He's going to su- suffer with these people and their need. And so Jesus takes this opportunity and he responds. And then we get to see that he is fully God and he's fully human. He is. And he's present with us in our pain. And so I don't know if you've actually like thought about that, like taking a second and like let that sink in, that the God of the universe like the God that made the planets and the stars, the God that put every single cell inside of your body <laughs> wants to be present with you in your pain. That's a big deal. That is a life-changing reality. And I know that it's a life-changing reality because that is something that I've personally experienced. Can I tell a story? Please. I'd, I'd, I'd love it. Is your seatbelt still on? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, so I've never needed a seatbelt to preach. This is good. I do. Yeah. I need like a harness and a parachute. <laughs> um, so there, like a few years back, um, I was in a really dark season of life. Like I felt incredibly hopeless. Um, I had terrible depression. And I had people in my life that would check in and want to know how I am. But the more I tried to describe how I truly was, the more I realized no one knew where I was. No one knew how I was actually feeling. Mm. And so it actually, the more that I shared about the darkness I was experiencing in my life, it created more isolation and more loneliness. And it was so incredibly hard that I actually stopped telling people how I actually was. Because I didn't want to, I didn't want to think about how alone I was anymore. Because mm. it was so incredibly painful. Mm. And there was this one day where I was at like a little Bible study and I got this picture it was like God just like met me in this moment and it was just a simple day. And this picture was me in this pit deep into the ground. And I was sitting with my, my head on my knees and I was t- like, I was so tired that I couldn't even cry anymore. And I just sat at the bottom of this pit. And the more that I tried to get out of the pit on my own, the deeper into the pit that it, like I went. And so in this, in this picture, I'm sitting there, and Jesus comes into the pit, and he sits next to me. And he has this like soft, illuminating glow that's bringing light, this gentle light to the darkness. 
and he's just present with me in my pain. He didn't come with like this crazy escape plan. He didn't come with like a ladder. He's like, we're gonna get out of here, Steph. Don't worry about it. He just sat next to me (laughs) and I wasn't alone anymore. And it made me realize that the God of the universe is the only one that actually knows where I am. He's the only one that's Mm. with me in my pain. That's good. And so this is something that's available for all of us. Mm. And we see that right here in this passage. So here's a good challenge. Refuse to act on your lack of faith. Refuse to put faith in your lack of faith. Refuse to, refuse to like just buy into your lack of resources when God begins to invite you to solve problems or to step into situations. Refuse to believe your unbelief. Or to put it positively, learn to doubt your doubts. Doubt your doubts? Yeah, make your, doubt your, your doubts are not the gospel. The gospel is the gospel, right? And so don't make doubt your God. Learn to worship God as he reveals himself and not the things that you doubt. And God will use whatever you offer to him. He'll use whatever you offer to him. And so next is this crazy little discussion about yeast. I love it. Starting in verse 11, chapter 8. Do you want me to read one? Do you want to read one? Are there any hard words? I don't know. Read it down to verse 15. Where am I? 8, 11, 15. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does... I like how he sighed deeply. I feel that on every level with my children. (laughs) More snacks, okay. Um, So he sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. Apparently the word God's the hardest. Yeah, go all the way down to verse 15. Sorry. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. What? They had seven basketfuls and they forgot to bring any. I love it. They're clueless. They're clueless. You feel like that's the staff you're working with? No, no. You guys aren't clueless at all. I'm the clueless one. Oh my gosh. I don't even know where I am now. They got back in the boat. They forgot to bring bread. All right. Yep. They forgot all the bread. All right. Be careful. Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. 15? Yeah. That was it. That, that was it. Cool. Hey, thank you. <laughs> We've been working on this for how long and I don't even know a passage we're on? Oh, so, gosh. there's two kinds of yeast that Jesus mentioned. I just want to unpack them because one of the things that keeps us from engaging what God's doing is we want God on our own terms. And we're pretty serious about it. And so, it, there's this little confusing discussion what the deal is. It doesn't take much yeast to accomplish a lot of stuff. And there's two kinds. First of all, the yeast of the Pharisees. The yeast of the Pharisees was, give me a sign. I want a sign. Like, show me that you really are who you think you are. Like, have you read Mark? He's doing sign after sign after sign after mm-hmm. sign after sign. Mm-hmm. That's like what Steve Cuss talked about yesterday. What did he say? He said, if I, he's like, I always want God to give me a sign. Yeah. But I realized that if God gave me a sign, then I'd want another one every single time. Exactly. And it would never be. It would never end. I've talked to people who feel like God's leading them to do something, and they're like, I just need to put out a fleece. I need to put out another fleece and another fleece. That all comes from Gideon, by the way. And it didn't go well. Like, we don't need to like, follow the guy who was doing this thing, and it didn't go well in terms of him 
keep asking God for more and more signs. Listen, we want, here's our problem. We want God to meet our needs in the way that we want them met and, 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 and how we want them met. Like, it, it's, like, it's like this. Like, the salad bar. There you go. It's a salad bar of self-fulfillment. We look at spirituality. We look at church. We look at our spiritual experience as like this pick and choose type of thing where you get to build your own, create your own, add yep. flavors right. that taste the best that you think would bring you the most life. And here's the other problem, is we have come with our own set of beliefs about life. Hmm. We've come with our own set of beliefs about what we think it looks to be a woman, like what it looks like to be a woman. We've come with our own beliefs about what it looks like to be a man. Well bearded. <clears throat> is that? No, go ahead. <laughs> oh my gosh. So we have like these set of beliefs and then we don't understand why our set of beliefs don't line up with the way that we see God and they contradict each other. And it's not until we set down our beliefs and our agenda that we can actually lean in and know and experience the heart of God in a real incredible way. Yeah. There's a thought from Eugene Peterson that I love about this. He, He wrote this, we get bossy and begin speaking and acting for God. We start trying to control God, and along the way, we take over God's work for him and take charge of making sure things go right. We get a false sense of self-importance because we've spent so much time around the important one, Mm. God himself, right? And so the disciples do the same thing. There's this part, uh, you can read about it in Matthew, where Jesus is asking them, who do you say I am? Peter gets it right, and then Jesus starts talking about what the Messiah is going to actually do, go and die. And Jesus goes, no, 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 you got it all wrong, God. And and that's when he gets the sharpest confrontation from Jesus, get behind me, Satan. It's like, that's not coming from Father Heart of God for Jesus in that moment, right? We, these guys are already ready to make Jesus king in the way they want him king. Mm -hmm. That's where the title comes from. This is not the king you're looking for. That no. was zero laughs. Yeah, that was nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here's the deal. They've missed the signs. This is not the king you're looking for. There you go. Thank you. Yeah. I don't think it's going to work. I'm going to keep trying, though. There's always, like, there's a couple more there's services There's more services. Today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's funny. And then the other yeast is the yeast of Herod. Herod has aligned himself with political powers to be king. Jesus refuses to be a political king. Here's the deal. The temptation is to also, on Herod's side, to align too closely with the powers of this world. For instance, to equate evangelical faith with the American dream or conservative politics. I've watched that since the 1980s. I've seen the yeast of Herod invade the conservative church. When we do this, we lose our prophetic edge and we attract people to our politics and not to Jesus. And that's not helpful at all. So look out for the religious or the political alliances that dilute or compromise the gospel, honestly. Honestly, I think we need to ask God to search our heart on that, on yeah. that East thing. And so then Jesus goes on, verse 16. They discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves uh, for the 5,000? How many basketfuls did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Seven, 
He said to them, do you still not understand? Some of us read that passage and we think, what's he talking about? We don't understand either. It's like, this is not super duper complicated. How many tribes are in Israel? Twelve. How many basketfuls? Twelve. Like, he's saying, I have everything Israel, the people of God, need. And then, the seven actually reflects back to Genesis chapter 1, the original creation. Where God created everything that he is going to rule and reign in, and then he rested. He settled in to ruling and reigning on the seventh day that has no beginning and no end. He is saying, I'm bringing everything to completion Revelation chapter 21, he is making all things new. Like he is bringing the kingdom of God to anybody. The table for the meal is huge. And anybody who wants to come to the table that will submit to him, there's room. He's saying, don't you understand? Don't you understand? This is what I'm doing. I love this uh, um, quote from uh, Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann who writes writes this. Taken most simply, the Holy Spirit refers to the intruding, invasive, energizing power from God that comes like the wind to blow us beyond ourselves, to take actions, to dare dreams, to run risks that in our accustomed powerlessness are well beyond us. The wind of God will blow us to freedom and courage in spite of our tired fearfulness. Ooh, tired fearfulness. I, I love this. I love his language in there. We're, we're so accustomed good. to being powerless, and then we just don't even try. We don't join forces with what God is doing. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're tired, and we're fearful, and so we forget that he's inviting us to participate with him to bring his rule, his reign, his kingdom, his beauty to all of creation. Absolutely, and that's exactly what's, what Jesus is doing. He's sitting down with the disciples and he's asking them these questions, not in like this aggressive, condemning way, but he's just re-extending an invitation back on mission with him and with his heart. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing for us. He's welcome, welcoming us back in on mission with him. He's saying, set down your beliefs, your misunderstandings, your false narratives, the things that you think that the king in the kingdom is supposed to look like, set them down, come back and join me, and let's do this again together. And it's a beautiful, beautiful invitation for all of us. In the words of the fourth century theologian, Anastasis, the Holy Spirit is the rehumanizing spirit. His job isn't to make us more religious or more conservative or more liberal. His job is to make us more human, the way that God intended us to be human. And to follow Jesus is always gonna be risky. It's mm-hmm. always gonna feel risky. It's always gonna take you out of your comfort zone. And, but when we partner with him, dude, he multiplies resources. He does all sorts of cool stuff. It never disappoints. Yeah, that's good. So, I think we should do some ministry. Let's do it. Right. I love it. Cue the lights. Cue the music. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> let's, let's, let's just sit for a moment and ask the Holy Spirit what he's doing. And then, um, then, then, we, we're, then after a few minutes, or a couple minutes or whatever, then we'll stand up and we'll kind of do some praying for one another. Sound good? I love that. So, Holy Spirit, we invite your presence here right now. I know, God, you are... You know, all omnipresent. You're everywhere all the time. Mm-hmm. We know that's true. And what we're asking for right now when we pray that 
centuries-old prayer, come Holy Spirit, is we're asking that we would begin to pay attention to your tangible presence. So Lord, we quiet our hearts and minds. Oh Jesus, thank you for the way that you lived and walked among us. For the ways that you proclaimed and demonstrated the kingdom. Holy Spirit, would you walk among us now? We welcome you. Can I get this picture? And it's of somebody who is, it's like they're trying to stay like big and strong and like there's just like this upper body tension as they're trying to protect their own heart. Mm. And in doing that, they're actually keeping Jesus from getting into the inside, like getting to the other side Mm. and like really like getting into the heart and the issues and the things. Yeah, because the same walls that we put up to keep people out actually Mm -hmm. keep God out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I just just think there's some of us in the room where you're feeling like, man, I want to partner with God. I just feel afraid. Mm -hmm. I just feel like he's going to ask me to do something uncomfortable. And you're right. He will. And yet he will meet you there and it'll be the most fun you ever had. All right. Let's do this. Let's stand up. Holy Spirit, would you continue to move amongst us? Would you allow us to hear you and join with you in this moment? When I was talking about offering God your resources and getting face-to-face with people in need, I felt really clearly like God wanted to offer us a challenge this week to actually move towards someone who's in need with the power and presence of God. You're a son, you're a daughter of the Most High. If you've submitted your life to Jesus, you're a son, you're a daughter of the Most High God. He's adopted you in. He will give you what you need as you get face to face with people who are hurting. And so if I got the ministry team come up, we want to begin to pray for some folks. Um, why don't you give your word again? Yeah, so <clears throat> I felt like there was, it was like a picture of somebody who like had their, like their fists up or like their guard up and their, their body was like tight and tense because they felt like they had to protect themselves. They had to like keep, keep a safe distance and keep the... Uh, just like guard over their heart. But in doing so, they're actually preventing Jesus from moving deeper in. Yeah, so if that's you, like if, if you feel like, man, I, I know I have walls up, I'm going to ask you to do a difficult thing. I'm going to ask you to come forward for ministry. And if you feel like you know, God's bringing somebody's face to mind, or if you want God to bring somebody's face to mind who's in need, I think God... If you come forward for prayer, I think God wants to empower you with just a little bit of confidence it's going to take 
Like you only need like enough faith to like take the first step, right? And then you get there realizing I don't have the resources to meet this need and enter into relationship and watch how God shows up. Yeah, and I also feel like there's an opportunity for some of us to um, like take someone by the hand. Like so much of what we talked about today was like, there's like a physical interaction of like, there is someone that is with you here today that you know they're walking through something difficult. You're the one that gets to pray with them today. Like you can walk them up here if you don't want to do it alone, but you get to be the one to, to walk them towards Jesus right now. And then I also feel like there's an opportunity, like we are never going to stop asking Jesus for healing ever. Because that is who we are. That's good. And so if there is something that you want healing for, come forward and let's get prayer. It's going to maybe feel risky. It's going to maybe feel scary. But you will not be disappointed by the way that Jesus meets you. It is a guarantee. So we're going to continue worshiping. And we would love to pray for you guys before you head out.